Well, good morning, Westland. It's great to be with you in this new year. Let me wish you a happy new year. If you're joining this morning, it's, it's, uh, it's a pleasure of mine to get to open God's Word and start the new year together, looking at what God wants to tell, tell us and, and speak to us. And so if you have a Bible, I invite you to open it up to Isaiah chapter 12. Isaiah 12, verses 1 to 6 is where we're going to be spending our time together this morning. I do invite you to actually have a paper or hard copy Bible, whether that's paper or iPad or phone or whatever it be, so you can follow along. And as you turn there, let me pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are with us even now. Lord, every single day, every single hour, every single year, Lord, you are with us. You are faithful. You are good. You are our reason and source of joy. And so, Lord, I pray this morning as we hear from you, would you please speak to us, Lord, and do more than just speak to us, Lord. I pray you would transform us. Help us to see Jesus this morning more clearly than we've ever seen him before. And I pray, Lord, that as our hearts and minds are stirred, and then, Lord, as we go out of this place, putting what we've heard into action, Lord, I pray, would you be honored and glorified. We pray all of these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Each year, there are certain traditions that I look forward to over the winter holidays. Some of these traditions are doing a puzzle together with my wife. I did most of it this year. Eating appetizers on Christmas Eve as we watch a Christmas movie together. Playing games as a family. But maybe my favorite tradition that I've done, I can't even remember how many years now, is watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy. We've watched this trilogy so many times that we now listen to the movie with surround sound. Now, you might actually think that's a good thing, except it's not when the surround sound is coming from your wife, who's quickly interjecting with the lines before the actors can say them. One does not simply walk into Mordor, she says, right before the actor says, one does not simply walk into Mordor. Anyways, despite the surround sound, I love those movies. I love The Lord of the Rings. I can picture the world. I can hear the music in my mind, and it makes me feel something. It stirs these emotions in me. I think the reason my emotions are stirred watching Lord of the Rings is because of something called eucatastrophe. Eucatastrophe. Literally, it means good catastrophe. It's actually a word the author Tolkien coined. Eucatastrophe. And so let me actually read you his definition. He says this, I coined the word eucatastrophe. It is the sudden, happy turn in a story which pierces you with a joy that brings tears. I was there led to the view that it produces its peculiar effect because it is a sudden glimpse of truth. It perceives that 
This is indeed how things really do work in the great world for which our nature is made. The good catastrophe, the sudden joyous turn is a sudden and miraculous grace never to be counted on to recur. It does not deny the existence of sorrow and failure. It denies universal final defeat and insofar giving a fleeting glimpse of joy, joy beyond the walls of the fairy tale world. You catastrophe. It's that sudden moment of jubilee. It's that unexpected triumph. It's that moment you feel that this is how things are supposed to be. That's how I feel when I watch the Lord of the Rings. And that's the message that Isaiah proclaims in chapter 12. There's three aspects of joy or jubilee that I want to look at this morning. I want to look at the cause of joy. I want to look at the response of joy. And lastly, I want to look at the time of joy. First, the cause of joy. Look at verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 12. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. What is it that causes Isaiah's listeners, the nation of Judah, to move from sorrow to thanksgiving? to move from despair into delight. Well, it's helpful to know a little bit of the situation they find themselves in. At the time of his writing, the nation of Israel is actually split into two. You have the northern nation of what is called Israel and the southern nation of Judah. It's to the south, to Judah, that Isaiah writes. You see, the Jewish people are no longer the dominant and powerful nation that they were. Instead, there is a new superpower on the block, namely Assyria. And Assyria is threatening to take over the known world. And so the northern nation of Israel comes up with a plan. The northern nation of Israel decides to ally themselves with the nation of Syria. It's going to be Israel and Syria against Assyria. But on their own, that alliance is not strong enough. And so they decide to invite Judah to join them. Now, Judah has a decision to make. Will they join the alliance? Except then, what happens if they lose? Assyria will not deal kindly with them. And so instead, what they decide to do is actually befriend the new superpower. They try to align themselves with Assyria. They befriend them, except it's less of a friendship and more of self-enslavement. They essentially pay Assyria everything they have just to not be destroyed. It's at this time that then Isaiah comes to the nation of Judah and says, what are you doing? Have you forgotten so quickly Have you forgotten the God who saved you out of Egypt and delivered you from the hands of the mighty Pharaoh? Have you forgotten the God who brought you through the Red Sea? Have you forgotten the God who cared for you in the wilderness? Have you forgotten the God who led you into the promised land, who defeated the enemies around you and treated you like your own son? Have you forgotten, O Judah? 
it's because of Israel's lack of faith, their quickness to forsake their God, that Isaiah opens his book with this condemnation. Isaiah 1 verse 4 says this, Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Isaiah goes on to say that because Judah has forsaken their God, they will end up being judged for their sin. They will be led into exile. They'll be forced away from their home. And so we hear actually this refrain over and over in Isaiah. Isaiah 5, verse 25. For all this, his, that's the Lord's, for all this, his anger has not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. Isaiah 9, 12. For all this, his anger has not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. Isaiah 9, 17. For all this, his anger has not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. Isaiah 10, 9, 21. For all this, his anger has not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. Isaiah 10, 4. For all this, his anger has not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. His hand is stretched out still. His anger has not turned away, but then we come to Isaiah 12, verse 1, and we read, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away. Your anger turned away that you might comfort me. How? Why? Why this sudden moment of jubilee? Where? How come? Who caused this? What brings sorrow to joy, pain to comfort, anger to salvation? Well, notice what's not there. There's no mention of doing better. There's no mention of obedience. There's no mention of repentance. There's no mention of trying harder. This is not God standing back and go, oh, wow, I'm so impressed with this nation, they've turned it all around. There's none of that. Instead, what, what do we see? We see this, verse 1, though you were angry with me, your anger turned away. That's it. God is the only source of this triumph. God is the only reason for this salvation. It's so unbelievable that Isaiah feels like he has to start verse 2 with, Behold, behold, he says, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. He says, Behold, it's like if you didn't listen to Isaiah, if you just were just tuning in briefly, you would have missed it. You would have ignored it. You wouldn't be able to comprehend it. It's so sudden and unexpected. Behold, the angry God is now the saving God. Wrath has turned away. But God has showed grace 
and mercy. Are you beginning to see that this is, in many ways, our story? That though each and every one of us has forsaken our God, we've trusted in other things, we've put our faith in our spouse, we've looked for security and joy in our children, in our freedom, in our finances, in a vaccine. Look, I'm beginning to worry a little bit that Christians are getting wrapped idea that their faith is in a new year. Look, I'm all for a new year. I think there's something biblical about fresh starts and the feeling of of a fresh start and a new year. But our year of 2021 is not our savior. Look, a vaccine that is being rolled out is a good thing, but a vaccine is not our savior. There will be new death, new diseases, new pain, new destruction, new economic turmoil. And yet, though we have placed our faith, many, many of us, in things other than our God, even just momentarily, though our God deserved to be angry with us, his anger has now been turned away. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. You see, joy ultimate, deep longing for joy is not our own doing. It's a gift of God. Secondly, what is the response of joy? When we've been impacted and saved by pure grace, that inward reality of joy is supposed to spontaneously move outward. And so look at verses 3 to 6 says this, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. There are two responses of joy that I want to highlight this morning. Two responses. The first one is shouting. It's shouting. Look at verse 6 again. It says, shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. Now, I know that this might seem a little strange to many of you. This seems, you know, shouting like it's one of those things those crazy people do in church, right? But I wonder if, even if you haven't maybe given expression to it, you've felt it. I wonder if there's ever been this moment where you've been overwhelmed by joy. Your brain is all of a sudden flooded with dopamine and excitement. And in a moment of despair, hope arises from nowhere. And all you want to do, all you feel like you should do in that moment 
is let air explode out of your vocal cords. Hear the good news, Wesson. Though we have been in exile, we are now free. Though we have been enslaved to sin, we are now free in Christ. Though we deserved wrath and hell, we have been saved by nothing other than grace. Though the serpent held us in his grips and wanted to destroy us, our Savior came and crushed his head. Come on! Yes! Hallelujah! We shout. The bursting forth of air from our lips is a form that praises our God. It is actually a gift that God gives us to shout. And to hold it in feels like we're holding back sometimes the praise that he is due. Shout, shout in response to the joy given by our God. We see shouting as a response, but secondly, we also see singing. Sing. Verse 2 here, For the Lord God is my strength and my song. Verse 5, sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Verse 6, shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. I think there's something in us where we understand that poetic melody often expresses our emotions and gratitude better than prose can. See, it's not just what we say It's also how we say it. We realize that great truths accompanied by great tunes give glory to our great God. And so we sing. But here's the problem. If I can be brutally honest with you, um, I don't always feel this. I just don't. I don't always feel like shouting and singing and acting full of joy. Instead, actually, probably more often than I would like to admit recently, I felt anger, sorrow, sadness, and hopelessness. And maybe you feel that way too, actually. Not being able to see family, Maybe you've lost a job. You feel like your life is a little bit purposeless right now. You're dealing with infertility. You're feeling alone. Feeling as though your health is failing you. Maybe you're just tired. And there's no one around to help. What joy. What do we do then? I think the answer the text gives us is you actually have to cultivate joy. You cultivate joy. See, while joy has been given to you, it's this, it's this seed that God has planted in you that guarantees you the ability to have joy. God's act of salvation guarantees you the ability to have joy. It also needs to be cultivated. It needs the warmth of the sun. It needs Water and the way that that joy grows in you is not always alone. It's not. See, we may miss this in our English 
Russian, Arabic translations, Farsi translations, if we don't actually look at the footnotes. See, if, if you realize something here, if you look at the footnotes, you'll realize that in verse 1 and 2, the language is singular, whereas in verses 3 to 5, the language is plural. See, verse 1 says, you singular will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust the Lord. God is my strength, my song, my salvation. But then something shifts in verse three. It's with joy, you all, you plural, all will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you all will say in that day. See, this is what this means. When I'm sitting in my chair, listening to the preacher, arms crossed, thinking this is not true, or at least this is not true in my life, what I need in that moment is for you to shout. I need to hear the voices of people around me saying, yes, and come on, and I believe it's true. I need, in that moment when my hands are in my pocket, not wanting to sing, feeling unable to sing. What I need in that moment is I need to hear songs crash on my ears like waves on the ocean shore. I need for you to be singing the truths and for me to hear in you that this is our God that this is true of him, and that though I may not believe it, it is real. You may not know this, but Martin Luther, uh, the great 16th century Christian church reformer, he suffered greatly from depression. And yet in his depression, he always felt like he had one tool to fight against sorrow, one tool to fight against Satan. It was singing. It was singing. He would often say to his friends this, come, let us sing a psalm and drive away the devil. Come, let us sing and drive away the devil. We are to fight for each other's joy. We are to help cultivate each other's joy. And now I realize that is hard during this COVID season. I realize it's hard when we're not all gathered together, squished up tightly against one another in the same room and singing and hearing and shouting. But so we have to find other creative ways of reminding each other about who our God is. We have to call each other. We have to pray for one another. We have to visit each other, even if it's at a distance. We have to practically care for the needs of one another so that we might help each other remember who our God is. Because when our God saves, he doesn't just save you for your joy, he saves you for the sake of the joy of those around you. Lastly then, the time of joy, the time of joy. When does this happen? <laughs> when does Isaiah 12 happen? 
you know, we read twice about that day. What is that day? Verse one says, you will say in that day. Or verse four says, and you will say in that day. What is that day? Well, I think it's the same day that is referred to in chapter 11. Look, look back at chapter 11, verse 10. It says, in that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day. The Lord, this is when it will happen, will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant from the remains of his people. From Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. That day is the day when the exiles are brought home. It's when they're restored to their homeland. It's when they're brought back to Jerusalem. There's just one problem. It's Isaiah 12, verse 6. It's a problem. Because it says, Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. No one said that. No one said that. No one said after they returned home from exile, Wow, great in our midst is the Holy One of Israel. You see, when Israel was led out of Egypt, there was a visible manifestation of God's glory. He, he led them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. You could see tangibly the glory of the Lord. When Israel built a tabernacle, we hear about the glory of the Lord, the presence of God actually shining from that tabernacle. So much so that when Moses would meet with God in the tabernacle, he would walk out with his face radiating. When Israel built the temple, we hear about the glory of the Lord actually coming down like fire, his glory visibly, tangibly. You could feel it. It felt the like his glory was there in the temple. in the temple, But then they are taken into exile, right? Their temple is destroyed. It feels like the glory of the Lord is gone. They come back. Okay, no problem. We rebuild the temple. The glory never filled the temple again. They didn't feel like it was there. And so hanging over their heads for 600 years, the question remained, is God actually here with us? I know he says he's here with us, but we can't actually feel him here with us. Where did he go? Except then something happens in a field outside of Bethlehem. We read it in Luke chapter 2. Listen to these words. Luke 2 verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and guess what? And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, 
that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts doing what? Praising God and saying, they're singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Do you see? It's the birth of Jesus that is the fulfillment of Isaiah 12. It's the birth of Jesus that is this eucatastrophe, this sudden and unexpected moment we could never as humans brought about on our own strength. It's the birth of Jesus that begins to turn God's wrath away. It's the birth of Jesus where God begins to save us. It's the birth of Jesus that puts shouting and singing on our lips. It's the birth of Jesus where God begins to dwell in our midst. Look, it is not the inbreaking of a new year. It is not 2021 that is going to make everything right and fix everything that is broken in this world and that is broken in me. It's Jesus. Jesus is the source of our joy. And of course, the birth of Jesus is not the last eucatastrophe that took place in his life. For our Savior also died and then rose again unexpectedly to bring us forgiveness. So let me end like this. I actually want to end by disagreeing with something Tolkien quoted. I want to disagree with Tolkien's quote, because he said this. He said, The good catastrophe, you catastrophe, the sudden joyous turn is a sudden and miraculous grace never to be counted on to recur. That's the line I disagree with. Never to be counted on to recur. See, actually, I think it's because we expect it to recur. It's actually because we think it will happen again that our emotions are stirred within us. See, we realize that no matter how dim life looks, no matter how dark the world may seem around us, we know that our God has broken in with light and he will break in once again. He can do the unexpected. See, Christmas has come and gone. And yet, we remain in an Advent season. Yes, the season of waiting to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Jesus' first coming is over, but we are in a new waiting period. Another ongoing waiting period. We await a greater coming our Savior's second coming. And it will be so much better because in that day, he will inaugurate an age of no more death, no more sadness. There's no sorrow intermingling with joy. There will be only joy for those who are in Christ. See, through the Christmas story, we saw something we saw that God does the unexpected. And therefore, while the Christmas story may be now in our rearview mirrors, 
the thing we ought to remember in this new year is the truth that remains. And that is that we can now expect the unexpected once again. And so, sing and shout. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I am so excited to come back to my seat right now and sing. I'm excited to shout because of this great and marvelous news. Lord, you have not abandoned us. You are with us by your spirit, and one day you will be physically with us once again. Lord, we await that day. We await the day when there will be no more sorrow and just joy because we will see you face to face. Thank you for being a God who keeps his promises. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.